Neil set at the moment. Matthew chapter 6. The first slide up, please. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Uh, I'm going to spend this Sunday and next Sunday um, talking about prayer. I think it's just time we just spent a short while focusing on prayer. It can be something we talk about, something we take for granted, but it's not always something we talk about explicitly often enough, and the time has come to do so. Um, prayer, who finds prayer easy? Stick your hands up. Strangely enough, no hands go up. What's going on? Prayer isn't easy, is it? Why is that? It can vary. We can have good times of prayer, but sometimes we go through a season where it becomes difficult again. We can, uh, we can get guilty about not praying enough or blasé or about just not getting around to it or proud that we do it so much and I'm so good at prayer or whatever. It just prayer has a strange effect on us and we can not always find it an easy thing to do well. There's no magic bullet to a healthy or brilliant prayer life either and it can't even be reduced just down to a few a set of a few principles it's not as simple as that but it is definable prayer is definable because when Jesus is asked by the disciples to teach him how to pray he does so it is definable and that's what I want to do over the next couple of weeks just to dig into some rich nuggets of what prayer is and what we can learn from that um, I've called it prayer masala just to explain the name it's just like the curry masala um, we had marriage masala one Saturday a, f- a few years ago, three years ago, four years ago, uh, for a number of us couples to meet together and just to hear um, health- helpful hints and tips and elements about um, what marriage is and things we can learn. We learn from other people about you know, dealing with conflict and, and continuing romance into the later years of marriage, not losing all that. Lots of different things that really help keep a healthy marriage. And it's described as marriage masala because in India, the masala recipe... It's a traditional Indian dish, it's a stew, but it's, it can vary from family to family. Each family relies on different spices compared to others to create their own recipe that creates a healthy, uh, a wonderful, rich masala for them as a family. In the same way, marriage masala is different things you can draw on to make your marriage rich, and other people might draw on other aspects more than you, and so on. And what I want to do today, I've got six points today, and I've got six points next Sunday, just rich ingredients for a healthy prayer life. So we can just, some of us will draw on more than, some more than others, and other people will draw on other ones. They are all, all 12 points are all applicable, they're all Bible truths about what prayer is, so they're all just as valid for, and valuable for all of us, but I suspect some will stick in your head and your heart in particular, and different ones for other people. Does that make sense? So I just want to give you some rich ingredients for what prayer is, for a healthy prayer life, and see which one's Holy Spirit really stirs in you. These are different things that are gleaned from many wise men and women over the years, over the centuries, people I've read, people I've heard from as well, and different sermons, and things I've learned personally, things I've experienced. Um, but also just hearing through other people, learning about how other people pray. We learn these things, and we, when we go back to Scripture and see what prayer is, we can suddenly put it into real life. And that's what I want to do. It's not a comprehensive list. There's only 12. There can always be more. But uh, I trust it will be helpful for all of us. This week, the points are going to concentrate more so on the character of what prayer is. There'll be a bit of an overlap, but this week will be slightly more about the character of prayer, whereas next week will be more about the practice of prayer. So let's just read from Matthew chapter 6, first of all, the famous section on the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6 from verse 5. This is what Jesus says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts so we also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He takes it very seriously, doesn't he? But right at the beginning is our first point. Let me just have the, the um, slide number two up, please. Ola, thank you. That very first line when he, when he teaches them how to pray, that very first line he says, Our Father who is in heaven, doesn't he? And that is just a really helpful first ingredient um, for what prayer is. Prayer is response. Have we lost it? Keep going, keep digging. Prayer is response. There we go. We can often beat ourselves up, can't we? Because our, we understand that prayer is described often as a, particularly in modern church today, prayer is described as a conversation, isn't it? It's a conversation with God. It's not just shouting into a void. It's a conversation with God. But suddenly we don't experience God talking back to us very much, do we? Not the way we expect him to. I know we were talking earlier about God speaking, but we have a certain way in our head. I pray to God and he'll talk back to me. And if he doesn't, I'm not very good at praying and I'm not a very good Christian. That's the misunderstanding we can get. While it is a conversation, in many ways, it's actually we've got it backwards. We have the expectation, I pray to God, he talks back at me. But when we look at prayers in the Bibles, they're always the other way round. God has spoken, I respond to that. God has spoken, I'm responding to him. It is a conversation, but it's back to front to how we expect it in this modern world. If you think about it, God's word, Genesis chapter 1, brought everything into being. God spoke and it happened. He initiated it. It wasn't he spoke and then he did. It said, I'm going to do this, and then went off and did it. His speaking, his words, was the action. His word brought life, brought creation. And then we find in John chapter 1, Jesus himself is called the Word. That's his name. It's one of his names. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is literally God out loud. That's who he is. And then Hebrews chapter 1, we discover that it says that you know, God spoke to us initially through the prophets, but now he speaks to us through Jesus, his Son. And so immediately, just in those few examples, we discover that God is the one who acts through speaking, and he got the conversation going first. What's the best way to get to know someone? Or to, what's the best way to relate to someone? It's to get to know them more. To know, to know someone well in, in, enables your relationship. The best way to relate to someone or to talk to them is to know who you're talking to. And so right at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus is saying, Ma uh, Matthew 6, chapter, uh, verse 9, Our Father in heaven. He's stating the obvious, but he's reminding himself, but he's reminding us who we're relating to in the first place. You started this, you've made this possible in light of that Father who is in heaven. 
here are some things I want to talk to you about. We have a God who's already spoken through his word, with Holy Spirit using that to reveal Jesus to us. We also, he also speaks to us through our experiences and through other people and through supernatural means. And so as a result of that, that conversation coming that way first, when we have it that way round, prayer is fuel injected immediately whenever we fix our eyes on who it is we're coming to in the first place. And we get to reflect on his character. We get to reflect on his promises. We get to reflect on what he's done for us. We get to pray on the back of what scripture reveals to us. You can, li- you can literally pray scripture back to him. Yeah, just taking a, an example like um, Philippians 2 where it says um, don't do anything out of vain ambition or selfish conceit. Instead, value others above yourself. You go, okay, that's very good. Anyway, dear God, here's my shopping list. That's not a devotional time. You can actually turn that scripture into, Lord, you tell me not to have selfish ambition. What, are my ambitions after what you want or are, are they after what makes me big? Am I conceited? Where, where in my life, in my thought life, am I selfish? Do I value other people above myself? I might do that sometimes, but oh yeah, I did that yesterday, didn't I, when I put myself first? Just starting to repeat scripture back to him as a personal response to what he's already initiated suddenly brings prayer life alive and brings scripture alive as well. So prayer is response. You don't need to read the Bible before every time you pray, <laughs> but allow scripture's revelations to fuel your prayers. Does that help? Tim Keller, he's a uh, preacher and a writer in New York. He says, prayer is a continuation of a conversation that God has already started. And sometimes he might talk back. Prayer is response. Next one, just for the sake of time, this might be a little bit uh, breakneck speed, but I just want to make sure we get these points under our belts today. Second one, prayer is a lifestyle. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. Many people misunderstand it, think it's all about the things you can't do anymore and it's about rules. It's not. It's about relationship, isn't it? It's not about do's and don'ts. It is in itself a response to what God has done, him reaching out to us. And if the Christian life is a response to um, his reaching out to us, then prayer, as we've already seen, is also a part of that too. Prayer is a response. And if prayer is a response, it can't just be a tick box of something we add to our daily task list. But that's often what we reduce it to, isn't it? Have I prayed today yet? Oh, yes, done that, tick. It's not, it needs to be a lifestyle, it has to be. The disciples, when, when Jesus here in Matthew 6 is teaching them how to pray, it's in response to them asking him to teach them. You see the same, um, the same story in Luke, 9, uh, sorry, Luke 11. It's exactly the same where he t- teaches them the Lord's Prayer. But at the beginning it gives a bit of context. Luke 11 verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's like, we've seen you doing this. We we, want to learn this. Can you you explain a bit more? How do we do this? How can we be more like you? It's less about what we do. It's more about who we are. And they just recognize that in Jesus, he had these um, regular anchor points in in his daily life. This is what he was this is what he did, and they recognized, we want to be like that. And they asked him to teach them. Even when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray before his arrest, Luke chapter 22 says, his, as was his custom. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to pray as usual. That wasn't a one-off. That was just something that he just did regularly, and they recognized it. The disciples, therefore, learned it quite quickly. And so we see when the, early, the church is being born in Acts chapter 1, 
You see, it says that they devoted themselves to prayer, or that's the ESV. Other, other translations say they, they continually prayed. They were constantly in prayer. It's just who they, it wasn't just something they did as something during the day. It was who they were. This is what they did. So prayer is a lifestyle, not a box on our to-do list. Paul continues when he writes to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5. He says, pray without ceasing. Think about that. Pray without ceasing. That's not five minutes or half an hour in your daily schedule, is it? That's a lifestyle. Pray without ceasing. So prayer is response. Prayer is a lifestyle. However, when we see that as an ideal, that can sometimes, quite often, make us feel like second-rate Christians, can't it? You look at that and go, well, that's not me. So here's the next point to help us. I trust this will help excite you about what prayer is. Next one. Number three, prayer is communion and encounter. Communion and encounter. It's a combination. I remember when I was in a youth group in my church when I was a teenager. I was 16 or 17. and uh, My friend John, he said to me once, he said, because God is approachable, so I realised, you know, he, he's supposed to be my best friend. I was like, well, yeah. So he goes, so I don't start my prayers with dear father or dear Lord. I start my prayers with, hello, mate, how are you? Now, at the time, I was 16, I went, oh, right. But I knew, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. But I knew there was something not quite right about that. You don't approach holy God with, hello, mate, do you? So I, I got what he was saying, but he was missing entirely the point. This is holy God, though. He's, he still hasn't stopped being holy. Hello, mate. That's not right. Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer with our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. There's a mixture. Calling him Father. There's communion. There's relationship. This is Father. Not more than mate. All right, mate. This is Father. There's still a reverence there, but it's, there's intimacy. Father is communion. But then holy is your name. I'm encountering the holy God. Father and holy at the same time. It's a beautiful combination. And healthy prayer should be a combination of both. A combination of intimacy and awe. Affection and reverence. He's the God who lives in unapproachable light. And when we remember that, there's the encounter. There's the awe. There's the reverence. But he's also, this unapproachable God invites us in through what Jesus has done on the cross. And suddenly you've got intimacy, you've got communion, you've got friendship, you've got intimacy and affection. That wonderful combination. It's a mystery how they actually work together, and yet God has made it possible. Communion and encounter. This is why we have a healthy habit of closing our prayers with, in Jesus' name. This is why we say that, in Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name is not over and out, yours truly, yeah, uh, kind regards, Steve Dunn. It's not a way of signing off a prayer, and it's not a mantra or a magic formula. If I add Jesus in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer, it'd be really powerful and he'll really listen and it'll really work. In Jesus' name, make sure I get, I'll get what I want. It's not at all. What it is, is reminding us, it's a deep truth of who we're talking to and how. We're talking to Almighty God through Jesus. This is in Jesus' name. This is even possible in the first place. Throughout John chapter 14, chapter 15, Jesus says himself, he says, whatever you ask in my name, is it ask me anything in my name, ask the Father 
in my name. He keeps reminding the disciples how to do it. It's because of him we get to do this. This is holy God letting us in. Isn't that remarkable? But it's only possible through Jesus. If you don't say it in Jesus' name, your prayer's not ignored. Okay, like I say, it's not a magic formula. And you, oh, I wasn't listening to that once. You didn't add the magic words at the end. It's not like that at all, is he? Of course not. The question is whether we're recognising exactly how any of this impossibility of approaching holy God is actually made possible through Jesus. And doing it, declaring it each time reminds us and roots us in this wonderful combination of communion and encounter. Tell you what, it's just as well, it's just as helpful to put it at the front of your prayers. It doesn't have to go at the end. I'm reading a book at the moment called Praying Backwards. And the whole emphasis of the book is actually try in Jesus' name at the beginning of your prayers. It makes a massive difference. In Jesus' name, I'm coming to holy, holy God who lets me call him Dad. And in light of that, I want to celebrate everything you've done, allowing me to wake up this morning. What have you got prepared for me today? And by the way, can I also ask you for X, Y, and Z? It's suddenly in Jesus' name puts a whole new spin on it, gives you a whole fresh perspective. There's a little tip. We're doing the practical stuff next week, but that helps. In Jesus' name at the beginning as well as the end, always helps. We get to encounter the holy living God up close and personal, just not just as participants, but as family members, don't we? It's because of Jesus. So let this combination seep in and take hold. To be moved by his majesty and holiness on one hand helps our worldly anxieties and insecurities diminish in light of we realise who we're coming to. It's like, okay. But then also to allow his fatherhood and his invitation, on the other hand, to move us as well at the same time. That increases our security in him and our adoration of him and what he's made possible. So I trust those truths that work together, they should encourage us to want to pray to want to spend time with him in the quiet moments and in, and in the busyness of life throughout the day as well. I trust that helps. So prayer is response to a conversation he's already started. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not just a to-do list or a tick box. It's communion and encounter. It's a wonderful mystery. What's the next one? I'm trying to, trying to work out what all the different words coming up are going to be. Multicolored. Prayer is multicolored. My conversations with Jenny are not one kind of conversation. Me and my wife, we talk about all sorts, things we want to do to the house, remembering brilliant holidays we've had or old friends we haven't seen for a long time, celebrating Amy growing up and all the things she's getting up to, remembering when we were dating. We do that quite often, don't we? Do you remember when we did this? It was brilliant. Looking forward to future plans, laughing at each other's jokes together because we are hilarious, aren't we? <laughs> we are. In our eyes. In our eyes, we're very funny. You humour me. Yes, you do, my darling. <laughs> we ask each other for help and advice or offer each other help and advice. We seek forgiveness from each other. We seek to find peace when we've come to blows and so on. Our conversations as a married couple are multicoloured. And in the same way, prayer, being real interaction between a real father and his kids, should be multicoloured. Does that make sense? relationship again isn't it prayer is rightly fully fleshed and applicable to all aspects of life there's more than one kind of prayer and the one we tend to fall back on is can i have this can i have that petition isn't it there's other types of prayer as well 
One helpful thing, again, we'll be talking about practice a bit more next week, but remembering up, in and out really helps prayer life. If you have an up aspect to your prayer to start with, you know, our Father who is in heaven, just praise and thanksgiving, focusing on God himself. Again, it's response, remembering what scripture has revealed to you about him. Talk to him about that. His majesty, his greatness, his power, his sovereignty, his kindness, his mercy. Talk to him about him. He loves it. There's up, but then there's in. A time for self-reflection, self-examination, confession, focusing on ourselves, but in the context of intimacy with him. And discovering, I trust, a deeper sense of sin, but also a deeper sense of his grace over us despite that and, be- and around that. As we, as we focus on who we really are before him, I must decrease, he must increase, but actually it just changes things. You can pray that through. Talk about things you're struggling with, your temptations, your foibles, your failings, whatever. That's up and in, but out as well. There is a place for requesting, interceding on behalf of others and the, the world around us. We're told to pray for our governments and leaders, even if you didn't vote them in. Still told to pray for them. Yeah, let's pray for what we see on the news. Let's talk about him. But each one feeds the other. You know, up reminds us of God's kindness, and then we can ask for things with less anxiety and more hope, and so on. The Lord's Prayer features many aspects of up, in, and out in just those few sentences. There's praise and celebration. There's confession. There's reflection and requests as well, and honesty in just a few words. No one type of prayer is higher or lower than the other. They're all equally valid, and there's a place for all of them. So maybe, I don't know, maybe try up, in and out as a little template for your prayer. See if it helps you, if if it helps. Another ingredient for you. But prayer is multi-coloured. Two more, not be aware of time. Next one, number five, prayer is submission. Continuing through the Lord's Prayer, when he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next one, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's quite a bold statement. Your will be done. It's the same as a, a young child trusting their parent, and they don't usually, trusting their parent without fully understanding the reasons why they're being asked to do something. Why? Well, you're three, you're not going to get this. Or you're 13 and you're just giving it that now, aren't you? Sometimes there's a place to trust the parent that they know best. Okay, your will be done. It's Jesus in, in the garden, isn't he? When, when he's struggling over, he knows what's coming and he says, do you know what? Your cup, not mine. Your will be done. If we can't say your will be done to God, then we're saying that we know better. How many times do we say it and really mean it and then realise when we really mean it how scary it can be? It's a real trust despite what we see going on around us or in us. If we can't say your will be done, we're seeking justice on our own terms or we're seeking to aim to continue controlling others and asking God to help us to do that. You think about it, that's what it boils down to. We will never know true peace until we can say your will, not mine. It brings release. It recenters our worlds around God and not around ourselves. But it takes submission to do that and submission is an issue of the heart what are your motives what's going on it's your life look completely different to how you try and pretend to be when you're praying what's going on in your heart at the time because actually it can dictate here's the thing it can dictate how effective our prayers are if our prayers are made with selfish motives they will not be effective 
The Bible says that. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Eek. Sure I've been guilty of that in the past. There's one for husbands, but the same applies you know, and, you know, for wives and everyone. But it's just in a marriage aspect. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour so that your prayers may not be hindered. Ooh. Okay. It's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Ooh. Changes things, doesn't it? Willfully disobeying God in some other area of our life hinders our prayers. This is why at the end of the Lord's Prayer, then Jesus says, verse 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We don't like listening to that bit, do we? We're trying to get our heads around that in terms of the gospel. But it's in there. Jesus said it. What's going on? See, it may sound initially like moral purity is the answer. And I trust in this room we know that that goes against the whole grain of the gospel. It's not about trying harder and being better. It's about what Jesus has done, rescuing us from our sin that we can't get ourselves out of. That's the good news. Nothing we can do can get us closer to God, but he's done it so we can be close to God. It's all about him. So it's not about moral purity. And yet it looks like that, doesn't it? The point is that God is not content to leave us praying with selfish motives or having allegiances to something or someone other than him. He knows, because if he does that, we won't flourish, and he wants the best for us. He's a father, and we're his kids, and he wants the best for us. And if we treat prayer like a shopping list, or if during our prayer life we're acting like the devout Christian, we're clearly not being elsewhere in our lives, we try and pretend he doesn't know that, God of all people will see right through that. And immediately, as a result, there's a, there's a fracturing of the peace between us. There's something not right that he wants to deal with and we're pretending isn't there. As a consequence, our prayers do lose power because he's got other priorities. He's got other things. He he's like, I want to deal with you first. I've got a great work to do in you, but you've got to come with me on this trip. God only has our best interests at heart, but it takes submission to let them reign. And while God's throne room is, through Jesus now, a place of intimacy that we are invited into, let's approach it in good motive and not approach it flippantly. Submission. Prayer is submission. Last one for today. It's on a related note. Prayer is honest. Because in order to submit, we need to be rightfully honest with who we are <laughs> what we're like, who God is and what he's like as well, which takes honesty. It means being vulnerable. It means looking our Heavenly Father in the eye. And that can take a lot sometimes. You actually imagine yourself looking God in the eye, so to speak, metaphorically, but trying to look him in the eye, you realise, my soul's laid bare and he can see everything. It puts everything in a different perspective. It's not just about sin in our lives, but also just about pain in our lives. He wants us to be honest about it. Not just to try and bury it or try and deal with it on our own, but to just bear our souls. He wants that. The Psalms are full of raw honesty. They're a great model 
for us. They're, they're prayers as much as worship songs. And Andrew Wilson, he's one of our pastors in London, he says this, this is brilliant. He says, up until I was about 30, I couldn't fathom why so many psalms were about pain. Now that I'm 35, I can't fathom why so many of them are about anything else. <laughs> you suddenly realize as you get older, look, this is part of life, but the psalms are very real about that and God wants us to be. Suddenly we see how raw and vulnerable and transparent they are. You read through the psalms now, just with a fresh eye and just realize the pain that is on display there. They're so honest. There's an explicit honesty. There's no masks. There's no hidden agendas. There's no whitewashing of what's going on around them or in their hearts. Psalm 13, for example. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must I have sorrow in my heart all day? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. He's still got the right perspective. He's not, he's not complaining at God, he's complaining to God. It's, it's different. See, David and the other writers, they're, they're looking God in the eye and they're appreciating their own frailty as well as his greatness. Life is hard, but we have a heavenly Father who is interested and is involved. So why should we act as if he isn't? He's all-knowing too. In this passage, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, verse 8, uh, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He just wants us to ask him. He wants us to talk to him. He's all-knowing, so why act like he doesn't know and not come to him with everything we're wrestling with, with all our doubts, with all our temptations, with all our failures? Talk to him. Talk to him. If things aren't going, uh, going right with Amy and we know she's bottling something up, she's a monkey. Sometimes it can go on for weeks and we know something's going on, but she won't talk to us. By the end of it, when it all comes out, and together we work it, work, around, work it through and we deal with it. And we go, was that so hard? She's like, no. It's like, why don't you talk to us? Just talk to us and we'll work it through together as a family. That's what God wants to do. Say, talk to me. We'll work it together as a family. It's exactly the same. Talk to him. Bring everything to him. When bad things happen to God's people, it's not wrong to complain. That phrase I just read from that psalm, how long? How long, O oh Lord? That occurs nearly 20 times in the psalms. It's a regular occurrence and God's all right with it. The key is being honest with ourselves about who we're talking to, who we are, as much as talking to God about what's going on. Spare your souls, it's all right. Be yourself when you pray as well, honesty. Not just about what you're talking about, just be yourself. Don't try and be someone else, particularly when praying publicly. Do you know some people have the phone voice? We hear them on the phone, it's like, where did that come from? That's not what they're normally like. Oh, hello! It's just like, you're not like that in normal life. That old phone voice thing. Sometimes people can be prone to a phone voice when they pray. I don't know if we didn't hear it this morning, for example, but it can happen. I'm just be aware sometimes we can end up praying in a way that actually we're trying to be someone else, particularly when it's in public. We're trying to be not ourselves. God wants you to be yourself. Don't have to go flowery and try and come up with really clever sentences and complicated phrases and stuff like that. I mean, Jesus says, um, da, 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 what verse is it? Verse 5, um, when you pray, must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the, pray in the synagogues, etc., etc. It's just like, keep your words concise. Don't try and flower it up and be someone you're not and try and get praise for how good you are at praying. Just be yourself. If that means two words out loud in front of everyone else, brilliant. That's fine. If you do have a way with words, and there is, I, I, I'm a writer, I, I love, I love wordplay, but I think there is a place 
for being a bit more poetic if you're able to in prayer because it helped paint a different picture for people to amen that they wouldn't have been able to appreciate. Does that make sense? I think there's a place for that. But generally speaking, don't go flowery to try and impress other people or impress God because it doesn't work. Just be yourself. Just be honest. Honesty fuels our submission to him which then feeds our relationship as we pray. I'm going to leave that for today. We've got six more coming next week and I'll, I'll leave you this next seven days to try and work out what those six words are going to be. But just a reminder, prayer is response. Prayer is not the way around we sometimes have it. I talk to God, he'll talk back to me. Why hasn't he talked back to me? I must be a rubbish Christian. Prayer is a response to a conversation that God has already started. Pray scripture back to him. Remember who it is you're coming to. Respond to him. Prayer is a lifestyle, not a tick box in your daily task list. Prayer is communion and encounter, that wonderful, wonderful combination of intimacy and awe. Prayer is submission. Prayer is honest. I've missed one. Prayer is multicolored as well. Prayer is multicolored. It's not just one type of prayer. There's many, many types of prayer. I trust these are rich ingredients that help fuel your prayer life throughout the rest of the day, throughout the rest of the week. In your growth groups, talk it through. Share experiences of things you learned together. Maybe things I haven't mentioned today that, like I say, this isn't comprehensive. There's plenty more, even on these subjects alone, and there'll be others next week, to chew over together and to pray together. I trust they'll really help. But what I think, I think we should do, we should obviously close in prayer. But I think instead of me praying, if you're stirred to pray, just for the next few minutes, maybe two or three people, we'll grab the mic. If I, shall I grab the handheld? Um, I'll come to you so we can all hear. If you're stirred to pray right now, even on one of these subjects, stirred by what you see on the slide, whatever it might be.